And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is where we take a look at the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective in an effort to try to make sense that the world can't give to us. I'm joined with Dan Dozell, pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska, also an author at thechristianpost.com. And, and Dan, you know, we've been talking over the course of the past few months about things that have been going on in the political world, and um, it's been interesting, you know. I've had a lot of debate and conversation on social media with people, and a lot of them claim to be Christians, but yet it seems the comments that they make don't necessarily line up with what the Bible has to say, you know? And so, for example, this past week I had a conversation with somebody who was going back and forth, and it was about uh, the topic of abortion, and they were supporting the fact that, you know, Biden is now in office and he is pro-abortion. In fact, I think as of our conversation right now, he just signed an executive order uh, increasing funding for abortion, increasing funding for Title IX, increasing funding for abortion for overseas. So basically the agenda of you know abortion is growing under Joe Biden, where under President Trump, it was actually decreasing as funds were being taken away from abortion and things like that. But then on other conversations, you know, other topics that have to do with the Bible and politics, um, what the Bible says versus what, you know, culture says, it was the same thing. They kept like supporting things that the Bible speaks out against, but yet they still claim to be Christian. And so, you know, I'm going back and forth with them. And then I had a friend, he saw the, um, the exchange. So he jumped in and it got to the point where I started to realize that at first my thought was, you know, these people are wrong. How can they think this way? They call themselves Christians. If they've read the Bible, they should know that, you know, supporting things that are, uh, that the Bible are against is against is wrong and you can't have it both ways. But then I started to realize that perhaps it's something greater than the person. And then I come across this article in the Christian Post where the headline is Biggest Churches Push Superficial Christianity. Phonies are now being exposed. And John MacArthur is now speaking out against it. And I started talking to some people. And then all of a sudden, this idea of woke Christianity came to the surface. And it's like we've gotten to the point in society where churches and people are starting to spread a message that isn't a gospel message, but they're claiming it to be a biblical message that is trying to merge the things of this world with the Bible and trying to change things in the Bible to justify a worldly culture. And that's where these people are starting to get, I think, confused and starting to mix their political ideology with their biblical ideology, which is conflicting with the Bible, and starting to think that it's okay to think that abortion is okay and I can still be a Christian. Uh, Gay marriage is okay. I can still be a Christian. I can support things that the Bible speaks out against and still consider myself Christ-like. And I think we're getting to the point in this world where that's the problem. The problem is the message that people are getting is a watered-down version of the Bible, and they're not getting the full content of what the Bible says. And we're in a society where churches now, you don't even bring your Bible, and the pastor just puts the stuff up on the screen. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but people don't do their own research, and they don't do their own reading and their own investigating, and they just rely on somebody to tell them, and they're getting a, uh, the wrong message, and that wrong message is becoming contradictory to what the Bible actually says. So it's like the Bible is being uh, given a message that is something that the Bible isn't even saying, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh, it absolutely does, Son, and you're exactly right. 
um, you know, man is very good at trying to twist uh, the scriptures to fit, you know, his his uh, set of practices that, that he wants to engage in. Uh, man's very good at rationalizing. Um, and, you know, the two examples that you just gave, uh, with abortion and, and same sex, same sex marriage, you know, uh, the 10 commandments, uh, address, you know, the, the issue of, of, of murdering someone and of engaging in sexual immorality. Uh, now, you know, we, we, we don't, uh, we, we shouldn't uh, ever, you know, single out, uh, in that case, you know, uh, homosexuality as though somehow it's a bigger sin than, um, than fornication uh, or, um, you know, adultery. But, but, it, but it's right in there. It, it, it's every bit as sinful uh, as, as those things. And so th- these, are, these are no-brainers biblically. I mean, so, you know, you and I and any Christian who reads the Bible uh, and, and takes what it says, uh, seriously realizes you can't kill, you can't just go out and kill somebody. And, and if you can't just go out and kill somebody because you feel like it, th- that especially is going to apply to the most innocent among us. I mean, you can't just go into a, a nursing home and, and kill a, uh, an elderly person that you, that, that is too much work for you now. Um, you can't just go into the womb and kill an unborn child because that child is inconvenient for you. Um, you, you can't just engage in uh, sexual practices whereby you're having sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, the fact that man doesn't like those rules doesn't change, you know, the fact that those are the boundaries that God set. And like you said, Son, I mean, if a person say, well, I'm a Christian and, and I'm okay with those things, well, then you might as well just, you know, say I'm a Christian, I'm okay with gossip, I'm a Christian, I'm okay with holding a grudge. I'm a Christian. I'm okay with uh, jealousy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm okay with stealing. Because, you know, if, if you're going to just throw away, um, you know, killing innocent people and, and sexual morality, um, then really you, you, you have just uh, tossed aside the Bible. No matter what you say, no matter what you may claim, um, that is not uh, a biblical worldview. That is not uh, Christianity. Um, it's man's own invention. Uh, and again, it would be like going into a, a nursing home. Let's say you had a uh, an elderly parent. Well, this person's just too much work for me now. Uh, it's so different when you go into the womb and you kill the unborn baby because that baby's inconvenient. Uh, and, and rather than giving that baby up for adoption, you want to just have the baby killed. Um, that's murder, you know. And God is is very very clear on that. And uh, so, yeah, these are issues that really should not be even a question in the minds of any, of, any, of any Christian. But as you say, son, what we're finding is a lot of people are saying, well, hey, I'm a Christian, but hey, I'm okay with that. Uh, or our church endorses that. Well, uh, you, you won't find a church like that in the Bible. Uh, and if you do, it's a church that was, uh, you know, greatly reprimanded. Um, I mean, you know, for, for things that they were doing that were completely wrong. So um, there is right, there is wrong. That, that remains today to be the case. And, uh, you know, it just seems like things keep uh, keep increasing in terms of things that, that you know, you know, professing Christians and, and churches want to say is OK when God has already spoken very clearly on that issue. You know, Dan, John MacArthur in the article is quoted as have said or saying we had for decades people trying to create a cultural Christianity that would appeal to nonbelievers, 
that was accepting of immorality, accepting homosexuality, accepting of racial hatred. There was a kind of superficial, shallow Christianity that watered down the gospel, didn't talk about sin, and tried to have a positive message. And it was very successful. At the time, when I was in college, there was a, a church I was going to, and they started to a uh, adapt this model. And it came from Willow Creek in Chicago, Bill Hybels church. And it was a, um, a model that would take the cross down off the sanctuary. Anything that was offensive to a non-believer, uh, would come down and you couldn't make the, the person like squirm in the pew, so to speak. Um, and it had to be very comfortable. And then people would, you know, you try to get people to come to church and engage with them. And after a while they would, stick for a couple years, maybe less, maybe a few months. And then it was like a revolving door. People would come and go, come and go. And you see new people coming in all the time. And it was like, there was no meat there. And then the, the, the Christians that were there, the people that had been at the church and the believers, you know, started to go elsewhere as well because they weren't getting fed. And it just became like, like it said, you know, shallow Christianity, a watered down gospel was being preached. And after a while that might be good for you know, a few months for a non-believer who's now maybe becoming a Christian. But after that, you have no foundation. So when you go back out in the world, whatever you heard is probably going to be forgotten or easily trampled on because someone else is going to come along and challenge you and you don't have the the foundation to, you know, fight that challenge when it comes to biblical principles. And then you just get these people out there. And then obviously when you talk about these, you know, positive messages that don't talk about sin, you know, I think of Joel Osteen. And a lot of people follow him, you know, Beth Moore's, uh, Christine Kane's, people like that that are out there that are saying messages, but there's really no conviction behind what they say. I know people would disagree with me, but, you know, I've done a lot of research on this, uh, getting ready to talk about this. And it's there. There's a lot of evidence from solid Christian foundations and people that are objective when it comes to the church body that they see that it's a watered down message that's being preached on Sundays and people just aren't getting the message and it's it's skewing their cultural view and merging it with their Christian view and it's becoming um you know completely opposite of what the Bible says. Yeah, and and as, as you say son it, it really is it's a, it's a different gospel, you know, Paul warned about, you know, anybody who would come and preach another gospel. Well, there's only one true gospel. Uh, there's only one uh, true path of salvation. And what I find interesting, son, is that these churches that are changing the rules, yeah, you know, that have been in place for thousands of years, ever since God said, you know, hey, you can't go out and kill somebody. You can't go out and engage in, in adultery, uh, in sexual morality. Uh, and, then it, and then from just the basic forms, if you want to call it that, uh, of sexual morality, it went even further in, in, into things that uh, involved um you know, uh, same sex, uh, interaction. So that, that, that was just a progression of, of the sin that was already going on. And, you know, but what I find interesting, son, is that the, the churches that, um, are, are saying that, you know, hey, we, we support abortion or we, you know, support, you know, homosexual, uh, relationships, um, Try to find one of their theologians or one of their church leaders who will go on record as saying, you know, I do believe the Bible when it says that, you know, salvation is only found in Christ. I do believe Jesus' words where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, so, so what we find here, son, is that 
they not only have a problem with what the Bible says about um, how you're to treat people, uh, including the unborn, they, they, they not only have a problem with what the Bible says about God's design for marriage only being between a man and a woman, okay, they have an even deeper problem uh, that, that really is at the root of all of it. They have a problem with the gospel, the biblical gospel. Um, now, if, if you were to say to them, well, do you have a problem with grace uh, and God's love? They would say, well, no. But, but here's how they define that. They, they, don't, they don't root that. They don't ground that in the cross. What they ground it in is human emotion, and they allow their human emotion then to invent their own gospel, which widens the, the attempts to widen the broad road that Jesus said is the only way to get to heaven. You know, there's a, uh, there's a very narrow road. There's a very small gate. Uh, Jesus is the only way. But, but when man interjects his own emotional desires into that, 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 that road becomes wider. And now, well, you know, you know, we don't want to be too exclusive here. We don't want to be too narrow. Uh, you know, um, as long as a person's religious, as long as they're sincere. And it's that kind of false gospel then, son, that produces these other, um, these other doctrines uh, about uh, sexuality and, and, and about the unborn. Um, and, and just, um, even just, you know, even things as, as central to the Christian faith as, as the virgin birth, you know, uh, and believe it or not, the resurrection of Christ. I mean, once you start going down the path of, of liberal theology, which is basically just another way of saying, we're, we're going to rewrite the Bible. Um, we're going to rewrite it into what fits with our ideas of cultural uh, expression today, uh, which would include an embracing of, of homosexuality, an embracing of, of abortion, an embracing of almost, you know, universalism. Uh, you know, just about everybody's going to get to heaven one way or the other. Uh, and we saw this with Rob Bell, you know, with his emphasis on, on love wins. And so this is how, this is how liberal theology works. It, it attempts to redefine love. And it's not uh, defined now by, by the cross, uh, being the, the way that our sins are forgiven the only way is because you know liberal theology doesn't have uh, an awareness of what the bible means when it says if righteousness could be gained through the law christ died for nothing they, they, they don't embrace that they don't embrace that, that it took the cross of christ and in fact they even attempt to redefine uh, the biblical doctrine of the atonement uh and, and why jesus died because they have such a problem with the gospel they have such a problem with, with what the Bible clearly says. And, and, and so this leads then to all manner of error, um, all manner of, of uh, you know, just doctrinal um, misconceptions and false doctrine. And, uh, and so it's really, it's really sad to see what happens when a person embraces uh, man's version of the Bible. Uh, and and it's not it does not produce good fruit. It does not bring people into a living relationship with Christ. Uh, and it just it just leads people down a path whereby they're trusting their emotions rather than the the really the meaning of, of Scripture when it talks about salvation, when it talks about um, you know the way God wants us to live. Uh, all of these things get get reinterpreted by modern man. Uh, in, in a way that he would say is progressive. 
But um, the Bible would say is false, is deadly, uh, and is, is part of that broad road that leads the person away from God, not only here in time, but in eternity, where there are only two options. There's only heaven and hell. And, and so this is, this is nothing a person should mess around with. Um, you, know, you try to change God's word, and, and you end up the loser every time. You know, um, I've shared this story before, but it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. When I was uh, producing a, a Christian talk show, the Frank Sontag Show, which is actually where you and I met, um, we posed the, the question, okay? John fourteen six says, uh, Jesus is talking, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, meaning God, but through me. And then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. Okay, so the Bible talks about it being, um, it you know, you, the only way to the Father is through Jesus, and it's a gift of God. Works has nothing to do with it. Your good works, whatever you do, has nothing to do with it because then you can't right. boast yourself. So those were the two foundational right. things. And um, and so we asked the question to callers, just the, the listeners, and we would ask them, are you – a Christian, because if you are not a believer, it, it was irrelevant. You know, if you're not a believer, then you don't believe the Bible, then that's an irrelevant question. So we want to make sure that you're right. a believer and going to church, you know, so there are some qualifications there. Because again, if someone's going to want to talk about Buddhism, you'd want a Buddhist or people that practice that to call in. I, I wouldn't be a good person because I don't believe in it. So why would you want to talk to me? So we want to talk to specific people. And these were people that when they would come on, they would say they've gone to church, you know, they've memorized scripture, they've, you know, all that stuff. And right. we'd get a significant number, not just one or two, but there'd be a significant number of people that would call in and say, oh, there's more than one way to heaven. And then they'd go on to talk about, you know, oh, yeah, like good works. You know, if you if you do really good things and you're a good example, if you feed the poor and stuff. And there was all these reasons other than Jesus being the only way to heaven or to God. They were listing right. all these other ways, and a lot of it had to had to do with the good job or the good works that they were doing. Now, both of their statements or everything that they would talk about is in complete contradiction to the Bible, but they fully believed it. And these again were people that were going to churches, and sometimes the churches that they mentioned here in the Southern California area were pretty prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not necessarily to, to fault or to point out fault in pastors, but it brings right. up the point. It's like we've got to check ourselves because if there are people out there that fully believe and they're going to some, you know, pretty good churches, in my opinion, and they're saying there's another way to heaven and a lot of it has to do with works and you start to bring up a theology that is anti-Bible and you can quote scripture like I just did, those verses, and yet they right. will counter that with no if if like Mother Teresa, you know, she's probably in heaven because of all the stuff she did or, you know, Gandhi's probably in heaven because of the stuff he did. And and they start putting these things out there and it's like, wait a minute, how can that be true when it's only a gift from God? We can't do anything to get it. And Jesus even said he's the only way to heaven. And I think that's wherein is the problem is people are sitting there and they're either not paying attention or um, you know, the theology that they're being taught is flawed because they're, they're bringing up things. And it was, it was, there were other things too, you know, there were other topics that we brought up, but that's a simple one. Um, and it was the same thing. People were saying that there were other means to accomplish something when the Bible specifically said, this is the only way. 
And it's like you were saying, you know, in some of the things, it's like, how can you sit there and be against something or think the opposite? In this case, being a Christian or Christ follower, how can you believe something the opposite when the Bible is the only thing? The other thing, too, was um, a lot of people would sit there and follow people that say, I have a word from the Lord from you. You know, these like people that believe that, you know, God is going to reveal to them something specific than to tell me. It's like, well, I don't need that. You know, the Bible is telling me everything I need to know. I don't need somebody to interpret what God wants for me. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, just like a normal pastor whom, or, or a, a Christian mentor or a, a Bible scholar, theologian, but it's like, I've got a word from the Lord. God is telling me this, and I have a message for you. And people start to believe things like that, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, all you have to do is go back to the Bible, and if it doesn't, the Bible doesn't back it, then obviously it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, these are definitely the days we, we live in, aren't they, son? I mean, um, you know, man loves to go by his feelings. A man uh, tends to adopt various new age practices. Um, the new age, you know, uh, really is rooted in this idea that, that you are a divine being. You have the divine uh, nature within you. You just need to tap into that. Um, you know, you mentioned Joe Osteen and, and, um, you know, one of the reasons that he is so popular is that he doesn't um, seem like he really wants to address sin specifically at all, unless he's just about, you know, practically cornered on it. Um, you know, here Larry King now has, has just passed away in the last week, and, and uh, I guess it was an interview with Larry King where, you know, Larry King kind of tried to press him a little bit on on uh, the issue of homosexuality, and, and I think when he was kind of backed into a corner, you know, he finally did admit that it is a sin. Um, which I, I found that to be interesting. Um, but I, I doubt if that would ever, you know, be preached, um, you know, in, in, in his church. Um, you know, but, but I just, I just think that, um, the new age is, 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 it's everywhere today. And part of the new age is, um, you know, just trying to make people feel good, uh, trying to have people live their best life now. Uh, and you define that by, you know, material, prosperity, uh, you define that by, you know, perfect health, uh, whereas, you know, biblically, your best life now uh, is, is when you're becoming more and more like Christ, uh, the one you are following. And and so um, that in, involves preaching and teaching that's going to challenge people uh, and, and going to call people to turn away from, uh, from sin. Um, and, uh, you know, I understand, you know, a lot of people do feel beat down by, by life. Um, a lot of people have been beat down in, in different churches. Um, I can understand why, uh, you know, Joel Osteen's message is so popular. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in, in religious settings that uh, have just been given legalism. They haven't been given the gospel. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, um, even where um, you, you have people who are, who are sticking to the word. Um, you know, you mentioned that article there and, and MacArthur, you know, um, you know, I, on the other end of, of the, of the spectrum, you have those that are always trying to get people to question their own salvation, uh, which is, is something that I think, you know, for all of the good things that he teaches, um, that is something that, that John MacArthur seems, you know, more and more, uh, determined to do, especially now, as his ministry kind of winds down in these later years, um, you know, he was so well known here a number of years ago for this um, Lordship Salvation controversy. 
um, when, uh, you know, he, he basically, um, took a lot of flack because he, he was just stressing this point that, you know, well, um, you know, you're not really saved until you make Jesus your Lord. Well, you know, um, that's true. Um, but, but that's not something we do. That's something the Holy Spirit does at conversion. Um, we, we, when we become a Christian, when we're saved, justified, redeemed, born again, and forgiven through faith, um, not by works, but through faith, uh, at that moment, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Uh, but now, um, our calling as a born again individual is to follow the Lord. And, and if a Christian isn't following the Lord, or like in the, in the book of Corinthians, for example, when, when Paul said, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere babes in Christ. Uh, and then he pointed to their jealousy and their quarreling as evidence that they were worldly. Um, you know, I think what, what, what John MacArthur, at least from what I can tell, what he tends to do is, is really get people to almost doubt their salvation. In fact, I was listening to him um, here earlier this week on a message he gave, and he was basically, uh, you know, he was basically saying that um, if a person doubts their salvation, then maybe it's because they're not saved. Um, now, I think that's a very dangerous statement for him to make. Um, while it's true that, that, you know, there are those who aren't saved and, and who have no assurance of salvation, um, it's also true that there are people who are saved, but they're struggling with doubts. And so where they need to be directed is not into this bottomless pit of more doubt, not to be told, well, maybe you're not saved if you doubt, you know, where they need to be directed is to the cross. They need to be directed to God's promises. Because until son, until we have the assurance of our salvation through faith in Christ, um, it's going to be difficult for us to have the kind of Christian confidence to live every day boldly for the Lord because we're still struggling with not knowing for sure whether we're saved or not. But, but, but to tell somebody that if you have doubts, well, maybe, maybe you're not saved. Um, I, I think there's a better way to approach it than that. I, I think that um, you know, you got two ends of the spectrum. You know, you got maybe Joel Osteen on one end of the Christian spectrum, Christianity light. You got John MacArthur on the other end of the spectrum who um, seems very unwilling to want to build up Christians in the assurance of their salvation. Uh, the way he does it, I think, is very problematic. Uh, but then you've got that middle ground where, where we need to try to be, and that's faithful to Scripture, not watering it down, not, not harping on people to... Uh, to really question their salvation constantly. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, if a person is living in open, deliberate sin, they should have no uh, confidence of salvation because Paul says you're not saved. You're not being deceived. Uh, you know, uh, God cannot be mocked. Uh, a man reaps what he sows. But, but when I listen to John MacArthur, especially in these later years of his ministry, um, I find a man who, you know, I don't know if personally he struggles, if he has doubts with his own salvation. I don't know what it is. But there are very few pastors out there who seem so determined to get people to question their, um, you know, salvation. And, and to me, the classic verse, and he, he would, I heard him preach on this, um, you know, the classic verse is, is where Jesus said, you know, uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And, and he, he seems to use that, that passage there, Son, to just really push Christians. Seems to me like he's trying to push them to do more or, you know, get more serious or get more committed or something like this. 
And, and um, I, I think if you look at that passage, what you find is this. Um, what those people who are saying to the Lord there at the end, uh, who are going to be sent to hell, um, what they're saying is, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this in your name? Notice they're pointing to their works. Not one of those people saw and said, but Lord, didn't we trust in your, in your shed blood? Lord, didn't we trust in your sacrifice? Lord, didn't we trust? See, they were, they were so self-righteous, um, they were lost. And where I wish John MacArthur would go with that is rather than just challenging all of his hearers who've been, you know, beat over the head with that message for decades, um, you know, to, to like, maybe, you know, you don't know, maybe, maybe you're not saved. I, I wish where he would go is I wish he would go back to the cross and, and just help the hearers um, be reassured of their salvation. I mean, I understand his, his uh, you know, frustration, if you will, that, that you've got people who aren't saved and who think they're saved. Okay. But, but you have to, you have to give a person the gospel. You can't beat a person over the head with doubt, doubt, doubt. Um, well, you know, you, you may not get in. I mean, it's true, but, but you have to be clear that, that who that's addressing are those who are unrepentant, who are determined to live in deliberate sin. And, and I just hear them way too often. It seems, um, you know, I, I think there could be a lot of baby Christians who would, who would listen to John MacArthur and would come away feeling, I'm not saved. And I think that's a tragedy. Um, I mean, are there some people in some churches who think they're saved and they're not? Sure. But, but here's a simple way to get to that. You don't have to beat them over the head like that. All you have to say is, I mean, if you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? And those who are saved their son are going to point to the cross and to the blood that forgives them. Those who are lost are going to point to their works. Well, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? You know, and, and, and so, um, I, I, you know, over the last really 50 years in America, I don't know that there's been a, a more prominent preacher who, while he has been very faithful in so many of the things that he's preached, um, when he starts talking about salvation and fears and doubts and faith, um, he could learn so much from Charles Spurgeon. He could learn so much from Billy Graham. Um, he could learn, learn, learn so much from, you know, a, a lot of pastors who, I mean, whether it be Max Lucado or, I mean, there have been so many, you know, faithful evangelical ministers who proclaim the gospel, but who don't constantly beat people over the head with, well, you might not be saved, you might not be saved. Um, he seems to be obsessed with that, Son, and I think that's very unfortunate because there has to be, you have to find that middle ground where, where you're not, um, you, you, you know, you're not offering the promises of the gospel to those who want to live for sin, but at the same time, you're not causing the weak in faith or the immature believer, the baby Christian, to, to think, oh, well, I'm not doing enough. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe John MacArthur is right. You know, maybe, I don't, am I going to be one of those who say, you know what, I did this, I did that? And, and I just, I don't find him in, in, in some of his messages to be nearly as gospel-centered as he needs to be. And I think that's especially the case now in his later years. Uh, he has not shed this lordship salvation idea. Um, even though many people have, have, have been critical of him about it, and, and just so I'm clear, son, I don't want to, I, I don't want to misstate anything here. Um, if Jesus is a person's savior, he is their Lord. You can't have him as one or the other. You can't pick and choose. So if you've been born again, then Jesus is your Lord. 
Now, uh, unless you're going to just openly say, I'm not going to follow him, I'm going to live for sin, to which I would say, well, then don't call him your Savior if you're going to say he's not your Lord, okay? But but we need to feed, you know, my wife and I, our, our four kids are all in their 20s. It takes years and years of feeding. But, but you don't help little ones grow up by, you, you've got to give them milk. And, and, and I just, I hear too much anger in, uh, sometimes in John MacArthur, uh, at, at those who are just pretending and, and the fake ones out there. Um, yeah, sure they're out there. But you gotta feed the sheep. Don't feed them doubt, you know, build their faith for crying out loud. You know, Dan, in, uh, John 14, it talks about, uh, uh, Jesus talking, saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Um, you know, the thing I think that we forget is the Holy Spirit is supposed to come and guide us, be our helpmate. And I think a lot of times we want to do it ourselves. You know, we, we kind of neglect the Holy Spirit. We think of God, the Father, Jesus, the Son. You know, Jesus came, died on the cross, saved us from our sins, uh, rose again on Easter morning, and all we have to do is believe uh, and confess, and we'll be mm-hmm. saved. But yet we forget mm-hmm. about the Holy Spirit coming in the interim between now and when we go to heaven. And right. and we try to, I think, rely on our own things, you know, rely on what pastors say, rely on, you know, yeah. what a tweet from this person says. And, and we don't really rely on the, the, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and here's, here's why I bring that up, okay? Yeah. And um, because a lot of people, like we've talked about, will read the Bible, and then they'll come to their own conclusion on whatever it's supposed to say. And a right. lot of times, it's, and nowadays with this woke Christianity, it's becoming opposite of actually what the Bible says. And so I want to bring up a point, which, um, you know, Hillary Clinton back in 2014 was asked the question, if you had to name one book that, that made you who you are today, what would it be? And her answer was, the Bible has or was and remains the biggest influence on my thinking. I was raised reading it, memorizing passages from it, being guided by it, and I still find it a source of wisdom, comfort, and encouragement. Okay, so that's what she said in 2014. And so then when you go to 2015, a year later, and this is where I think the, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit gets missed out because obviously she's in a political nature and politics, you know, dictates ideology a lot of times. So right. then it was coming to, you know, women's rights and abortion and things like that. And she was asked about, you know, or I guess giving a speech about, um, that whole topic of women's rights and reproductive health care and things like that. And she was talking about how we then as a society need to make changes and make those changes in an, in an effort to, I guess, bring our ideology back into um, line with, you know, a political view. And so when she was talking about it at this conference or whatever, her, her quote was, I'm trying to bring it up here real quick was that, okay, Far too many women are denied access to reproductive health care and safe childbirth, and laws don't count for much if they're not going to be enforced. Rights have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with the resources and political will. Okay, that sounds good. But then she goes on and says, and deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. So basically what she's calling for is that in order for reproductive rights and health care and safe childbirth to yeah. be, you know, uh, 
uh, added or, you know, enacted in our country, we have to give up our religious beliefs. So she's talking about people that believe abortion is wrong because obviously women's rights and reproductive health includes, you know, pro-abortion stands. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you sit there in one statement and say that the Bible is your biggest influence? You memorize scripture. You did all this. But then on the next say, and, and it doesn't, and, and put any topic. It doesn't have to be abortion. It could be any topic. Say the Bible's my biggest influence. I memorized it, read it, all that. And then the next thing saying that we need to change our religious beliefs in order to fit the culture. And I yeah. think that's where yeah. a lot of people get mixed with the, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit because you can't sit there and read the Bible and then just go about doing it your own way. It's like the Bible will give to, I mean, the Holy Spirit will give to us that guidance, that helpmate. That's the one yeah. that gives us, you know, the understanding or the, the, intuition so to speak to be able to know what's right and wrong to be able to know what we're doing is either right or wrong to be able to know that what we're hearing is either right or wrong to know whether or not that you know what this interpretation of the bible says is right or wrong and i think a lot of times we leave that out maybe we don't understand it i don't know but maybe from your perspective you can maybe shed a little light on it do you think that that's something that could be problematic for people is that we try to because, you know, we're Americans and, and we're humans yeah. and, and we, we have all the answers. You know, we have to have an answer for everything. Yeah. And so we're just right. going to decide for ourselves and not rely on the leaning and the understanding of the Holy Spirit to guide us as Jesus yeah. told us in yeah. John 14. Oh, absolutely, Song. You're, you're exactly right. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the truth. He guides us into all truth. And, you know, we're really talking about two broad uh, subjects here, as we often do here on Sanctified Reason. Um, we're talking about salvation, and we're talking about the Christian life. You know, Paul told uh, those in Corinth regarding salvation, there at the end of his uh, letter, he said, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, the way I like to encourage people to test themselves is to ask, ask yourself this question. If I were to stand before God and he were to say to me, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? Now, my friend, if your answer to that question revolves around things you're doing, then that's not a passing grade on that test. That's not a good indication that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Um, if, on the other hand, your answer to that question is, well, Lord, I, you know, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve, deserve to get in, but Jesus died for me. I'm trusting in him. His blood was shed for me. Uh, now we're getting a pulse, a spiritual pulse. Now we're getting some spiritual blood pressure. Um, that's what Christian faith is. Um, nobody can come along and redefine the gospel. Nobody can come along and redefine Christian faith. Faith is in what Christ did. And when, when a person tests himself or herself, um, it's just like if you go to the doctor and he uses his stethoscope or they check your blood pressure or, you know, just check your vitals. Um, there's some simple tests that can be done. Now you mentioned Hillary Clinton. So in terms of the Christian lifestyle, um, there are really two main categories in the Bible. There's the law. And there's the gospel. Um, and we find both of them, you know, in, in the whole Bible. Uh, you know, many people think, well, the Old Testament's law, the New Testament's gospel. But, but there's, there's law and gospel in both, although it is true that, you know, you know, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in, in broad strokes, I mean, the Old Testament is heavily law. <laughs> Excuse me, the New Testament is, is about announcing the gospel. But, but you mentioned, like, Hillary Clinton there. And I think a person, um, you know, can, can talk all they want about, well, the Bible does this, the Bible does that for me. Um, just like you can test yourself for salvation, uh, here's, a, here's a very um, helpful way you can test yourself to see whether you really believe the Bible. And, and, and more often than not, Son, when, when a person um, fails one of these three things, 
then they, they, they tend to fail all three of them. Um, so um, the law is very clear in the Bible when it comes to um, protecting life and when it comes to God's, uh, God's design for sexuality. So do you believe what God's law says as it relates to innocent unborn babies? Do you believe what God's law says as it relates to um, you know, sex in marriage between a man and a woman, you know, and nothing outside of that. Do you believe that? Yes or no? And, and then the third question, uh, you know, would have to do with, um, uh, you know, who's getting into heaven, and that is, do you believe Jesus is the only way? Okay, so the law and the gospel, right there, in terms of the Christian life. And, and I think, son, you know, for, for people who say, I, you know, the Bible is the most important book in my life, if you get the answer wrong on all three of those, is what you know those tend to go together i mean people who tend to believe that it's okay to affirm uh either adultery or homosexuality fornication it's okay to affirm those things in a in a uh, like a committed relationship uh it's okay to affirm taking an innocent life whether it be an elderly person in a nursing home or an unborn child or both um when you affirm those things you also tend to affirm son that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. So when you when you fail all three of those, just Christianity 101, I mean, or you could say Bible 101, those are not hard questions. Um, the Holy Spirit would never, ever, you know, be working in a person to lead them to uh, support abortion, uh, homosexuality, or universalism. That does not come from the Holy Spirit. So it's a very simple way a person can see, am I self-deceived? Now, now, this is where John MacArthur um, would rightly challenge people to question their salvation. When they embrace those sorts of things, he would be exactly right to challenge them to, to say, hey, wait a minute, you call yourself a Christian. How, how is that even close to Christianity? It's not. It's not even close to Christianity. You know, the issue I was taking there with, with John MacArthur is when, you know, because so much of his preaching is being done not to people who are you know, living, um, you know, a double life or a hypocritical life. Um, he, he's preaching to people who love the Lord and love the word. And, you know, because people who don't, they're not going to want to listen to it. And, and so I just wish that from that standpoint, um, he would ease up a little bit on, on constantly pounding the saints about whether they're saved or not. And this has been the criticism against his teaching for decades. I mean, you know, along with all the good stuff, I mean, you know, um, this has been the concern. Uh, so, so yes, I think you're exactly right, son, about the Holy Spirit being the one who teaches um, uh, us all truth. And, and the thing I would encourage people to look for is, if you want to see whether somebody really is saved, um, see what they're trusting to get into heaven. Uh, that can help to show you whether they're saved. Uh, if you if you want to see whether somebody really believes the Bible, well, just take those three hot button issues today um, because they are a good barometer of a person. Um, biblical, you know, connectedness, I guess I would say. Um, you're not connected to, um, to God's plans and his word if you're going to affirm um, the taking of innocent life, an elderly person, an unborn child, um, if you're going to affirm adultery or homosexuality, if you're going to believe in universalism rather than Jesus being the only way. Not only is there nothing in those views that is Christian, it's antithetical. It's antithetical to Christianity it comes from a different spirit, not from the Holy Spirit. And no matter how much you might, you know, want to put some makeup on it and, and make it sound all flowery or this or that, 
Um, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. And it really doesn't take much discernment to really see that sign, although you wouldn't know that today because of how many professing Christians um, there would be in certain circles, you know, in certain churches, there would be professing Christians who, oh, I'm a Christian, but, oh, I'm fine with, with sex outside of marriage for certain ones. I'm fine with the killing of, of, of innocents in certain cases. I'm fine with universalism because I think everybody is going to probably get to heaven anyway. So, so these are the things that we need to call out. And, and I think, you know, John MacArthur, he, he's not, he's not lacking on that. He does a good job, you know, and, you know, he, he gets that point covered, but he just needs to be careful when he's addressing the saints that he's not preaching doubt rather than faith, rather than the cross. And, and this is what I'm afraid uh, happens to some who are weak in the faith. And, and again, why he has come under so much criticism over the years for his explanation of, of uh, Lordship salvation. And by the way, I wrote a lengthy article for the Christian Post um, that dealt with sifting lordship, salvation, and then what's called free grace, theolo- uh, th- free grace theology through scripture, sifting those through scripture. So a person could look that up, and, and I kind of addressed some of that with uh, about John MacArthur. And, and I think if a person reads that article, as I point out, the, the one area where John MacArthur really needs to um, rethink his position is his definition of faith, his definition of faith, um, son. You know, this is where the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses have gone completely off the rails. Um, they, they redefine faith as meaning, well, it's also your obedience. It's also your work. No, 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 my friend. It's the fruit. Obedience is the fruit of faith. It's not faith. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your obedience. And this is why those groups are not recognized by Christian churches, because they don't have the gospel. They, they don't preach the gospel. And, and John MacArthur doesn't go quite that far. But I will say this, son. You know, even the definition of faith that, that they have on their church website, uh, as I point out in the article, um, it, it really should be looked at because it, it leaves this idea open that faith is more than just trust in the Savior, but it's also a committed Christian life. And I'm sorry, that's not faith. That's the fruit of faith. And until you get that distinction right, you won't understand the gospel. You won't understand Christianity. You won't understand the New Testament. You won't understand Paul's epistles. You won't understand the difference between justification and sanctification. You won't understand the difference between salvation and the Christian life. You won't understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith because you're mixing the two. You're blending justification and sanctification. And that is a cardinal error of false doctrine. And um, I mean, just read the epistles. Read Galatians. Uh, they, they, they tried to get away with that. And, and Paul had nothing good to say to them. You know, in fact, he said to them, who has bewitched you? You know, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You know, and because they, they were starting to fall for what the Judaizers said about, oh, you got to be circumcised to be saved. You know, and, and this is where some folks sometimes like John MacArthur come off like, the way they sound is, well, you got to do this to be saved. You got to do that to be saved. And Jesus said, you know what you got to do? Repent and believe the good news. And if you do that, you're, then, then that's how you get saved. Yeah, Hebrews 11.1 1. Uh, Dan talks about, you know, faith and what is faith. And I think a lot of times people forget actually what faith is according to the Bible. And then Hebrews 11, 1, you know, faith is, uh, I guess, depending upon your version. But, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's not something necessarily we're not even having faith in something tangible, although there's proof and plenty of proof God exists and his promises and all that. But when we take faith into it, for by faith you are saved, 
we are taking and believing in something that we can't yeah. really hold in our hand. You know, it's, it's not that tangible thing that people like to have. People like to have a tangible, you know, knowledge of something, tangible facts, tangible things that they can hold and believe. You know, like Doubting Thomas needed to see the holes in Jesus's finger before he would be able to believe. And it's like, we got to remember that sometimes some of the things that we read in scripture and some of the things that we uh, are going to believe, we have to take on faith. We have to take on faith. I mean, we don't really have um, a concept that, you know, when you talk about, am I saved or am I questioning my faith? And you talk about the blood pressure and the questions to ask, you know, those are some things that we can do to check our faith and see if it's what we believe. But ultimately, I think, you know, people kind of lose their definition of faith and they put their faith in something that isn't necessarily true. You know, they're putting their faith in someone else's word or they're putting their faith in a, in a doctrine or they're putting their faith in something when all they need to do is just put their faith in God because then we're believing that God is going to come and we're believing what God says and we're believing what the Bible says because there's a lot of things in there that the Bible talks about that we don't really understand and have no definite answers for, but we have faith that that's going to happen and we're going to believe in that and we're going to believe in that regardless of what other people tried to influence us for the negative. Right, Son. And, and, and what, I, what I also you know, like to say in, in this regard is, is, is that the object of our faith is what is so important here, the object of our faith. Um, you see, um, for the Christian, the object of our faith is the good news. It is the gospel. It is, you know, if you want to sum it up in a Bible verse, it's in John three sixteen. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, so that, son, that is the gospel. So, so if we talk about saving faith, what, what we mean by that is a person's faith is in something specific, objective, um, historical, um, reliable. Uh, it, it is in something um, that took place 2,000 years ago. And, and so what, what Christian faith is rooted and based in and grounded in is the cross. Um, you know, so this old hymn uh, with the beautiful lyrics, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Okay, so, so that's Christian faith. What would we, how would we maybe define, um, you know, a kind of faith that's, that's not Christian? Maybe it's pretending to be Christian faith, but it's not. Okay, that would be something like, my hope is built on nothing less than my good works and my righteousness. So in both cases there, son, there's an object to faith. Uh, and and, and you, you could say in that sense there's something tangible, that there's something um, that you rely on. Um, it, it's not just, uh, you know, just some kind of nebulous, mystical, new age, well, I just kind of think everything's going to work out okay in the end. You know, it is a very specific faith. And if a person's faith is in their works for salvation, it's misguided, and that, that faith did not save them. Their soul is not reborn. Um, they're not redeemed, justified, forgiven, and saved um, through that kind of quote-unquote faith. Um, the, the only faith that is biblical faith is faith in the promises of God, and, and while we as Christians are called to walk by faith in all sorts of areas in our Christian life, there's no more important faith than that faith that, that really connects us to God. And, and again, what, what we might call saving faith, uh, which is a belief in his son, 
taking our place. So now, rather than relying on myself to get into heaven, um, I rely on God. You know, there was a ministry years ago, son, I used to do uh, with three chairs. And I, and I still do it once in a while, but uh, I even had uh, trained some teenagers years ago in a church to uh, to share the gospel. We, we went around and, and shared the gospel using these these, these three chairs. And, and what I would do is, um, you know, in presenting to a group, I'd set three chairs up in front of me, and I would ask people to imagine themselves uh, coming up to heaven's gate and, and God saying to them, now, um, before we talk about whether you're going to come into heaven or be sent to hell, um, I want you to sit down in one of these three chairs. Uh, but before you sit down, let me, let me tell you what they all represent. Um, the chair over here on the left, uh, represents the person who thinks that he's done enough good works, or at least he hopes he's done enough good works to get into heaven. He's relying on those works to get him into heaven. Then you will sit here, okay? Because that represents your faith. Now, the chair over here on the right is the person who thinks, well, you know, um, I think what Jesus did on the cross must help some. I, I can't just earn it all myself. You know, so that chair is for the person who thinks, well, maybe I earn maybe half of it or part of it at least, and Jesus earns part of it. So it's kind of like a combination of, of, of his death and my works that save me, okay, that save my soul. Um, I think both of those. So that would be your chair there on the right. Now, the chair in the middle. Uh, is for the person who's going to put all their eggs into the basket of the cross and say, you know, all of my faith for getting into heaven is, is in what Jesus did for me on the cross, um, not any of the works I've done. I mean, even if a person will say been a missionary and served in very difficult um, circumstances for decades, but, but if their faith is in, in Christ, they, get a pick, they can pick that chair if they want. So I, I invite people to do that, son. And then I tell people, now imagine God saying, you know, you sit down in one of these chairs. And then um, once you sit down, two of the chairs are going to drop down into hell. And only one chair here is going to remain. So be, you know, be careful. Think about it. I mean, wh which one? You know, think about which one you want to sit in. And, and I'll tell you, son, one time after a, a, a worship service, there was a, a, a young Mormon man who had come with uh, somebody in our church. They, he was a friend of his. And I actually shared the three chairs with him afterwards. And um, I, was, I was convinced that this young Mormon man would probably pick the chair on the right that was like maybe the cross some and him some. Uh, no, sure enough, he went for the chair on the left. All his work, you know, he was going to sit right there. And again, I'm not, I'm not laughing at, at him. It's very sad and tragic. I'm just kind of, I, I'm that, that's typical of, of the worldly perspective, son. Um, only the middle chair represents the Christian faith. If you put all of your faith for heaven, well, you know, you don't have to. You, you, you could choose one of these other chairs. Uh, you, there are pe millions of people, son, who live with faith in the left chair or as represented by that chair. I suppose some by the right chair. But the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is only represented there, my little story there, by the middle chair where you're putting all of your faith in Christ. So from that standpoint, it's a very tangible, specific, um, uh, historical um, uh, event and, and, and that's, that's not only the beginning of the Christian life that's the foundation of the Christian life and until a person is grounded in the gospel okay, um, then, then they're lost and, and uh, so anyway so that's, that, that's been a helpful way over the years to also share the gospel and help people to see how to know whether or not they're saved and then you know, obviously once you are saved well, welcome to a life journey 
of um, of living for Christ. Oh, by the way, I got to share one more thing. And I just heard MacArthur say this the other day. I was listening to one of his messages uh, there on um, on YouTube. And um, anyway, um, he said something and just just floored me. Uh, but it's very very different than what I believe the Bible teaches. Um, he said that um, becoming a Christian that it's hard. Uh, it's hard to be. It's hard to be saved. Uh, it, it's hard to. I forget if the term was receive Christ. It's hard. Now, where he gets this wrong, and this is where Oswald Chambers is so helpful to us. Oswald Chambers says the reason it is so easy to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. Now, now I would be very quick to say to MacArthur or with MacArthur, living the Christian life is hard. Saying no to temptation is hard. Facing persecution is hard. Living as a disciple of Jesus Christ is hard, but it's part of the deal. I mean, you know, it's part of what you're called to do. Okay, but being, but becoming a Christian, um, t- t- well, the minute you say that's hard to do, and even use the word striving, um, you got to be careful. You got to be careful with terminology like that because um, while it's true that that there are you know probably millions of people who've walked down an aisle maybe in a Billy Graham crusade. Or, or somewhere or whatever, and um, and now maybe today they're just they've got you know they want nothing to do with the faith. Um, while that's true, okay, that doesn't mean it's hard to become a Christian. Um, it, it's very easy. I mean, t- tell me, was it hard for the thief on the cross to be saved? Uh, was it hard for the thief on the cross to say, "Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom"? Was that hard? And I would say, no, that wasn't hard. Um, I, I just wish that John MacArthur had a good dose of Charles Spurgeon in him. Uh, the Prince of Preachers, uh, who in London in the 19th century, that, you know, they, they, you know, they had about, I think, 5,000 uh, there in their services, which is what MacArthur has. But, but in, in my way of thinking, those two preachers are worlds apart in, in terms of articulating the gospel. Um, they're worlds apart, son. Um, and I would never, I would never um, send a, a, uh, anybody who's not very, very secure in their faith to ever go listen to John MacArthur because they might come away, even though, you know, it could be somebody who's completely saved, you know, and uh, what I mean by that is, I mean, they're, they're forgiven. They're, they're, they belong to God, but they could come away doubting their salvation after listening to him. And, and so these are the extremes that we've got, you know, on one hand you got the kind of the Joel Osteen really watered down. Don't preach sin. Don't preach the Bible. Don't, don't offend anybody. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you got John MacArthur, um, uh, both arguably, within, you know, kind of the Christian camp, if you will. But um, I think there's uh, a biblical place that a person can land that, that, that doesn't go to either of those extremes. Um, and, uh, and that's not to say you couldn't find some good in both of those teachers, you know, of course. But um, I don't know. That, that's, that's my two cents anyway, Bob. Well, we appreciate it, Dan. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to share with us and to talk about it. And I guess when it comes down to to it, we need to be in the scriptures, reading it, need to be meditating on it, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in what it is yeah. that we're that we're uh, reading and listening to make sure that you know we're not being swayed away by other interpretations that might be wrong. Um, Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate your time as always. We look forward to our future conversations and. Um, and I think it's going to be uh, an interesting year here in 2021 and a lot of uh, opportunity for Christians to be able to uh, be an example to others, um, yeah. and which is uh, ultimately the, the thing that we need to do. 
Well, amen, son. Well, thank you, son, for having me again. And it's always just a, a real pleasure to visit with you here on Sanctified Reason. And uh, I'll sure look forward to our next visit. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.